Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning. Okay. Let's turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 this morning, and let's just read uh, from verse 13. Acts 27 verse 13 says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> See, Lord and Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you for <clears throat> the opportunity to be here in this place. We thank you for your word. And Lord, the, the truths contained therein. We thank you, Lord, for the study in the book of Acts. And Lord, uh, your servant, the Apostle Paul. And we pray that this morning you would... Uh, continue to teach us through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak this morning, that it would be uh, your words and, and your thoughts. We pray that you would uh, convince us, convict us, uh, refresh us through your word this morning. And may we leave singing your praises and giving you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last Sunday evening, we looked at the the start of chapter 27 here we looked at the first leg if you like of Paul's uh, journey to Rome Uh, we saw him put in the custody of the centurion Julius and Julius took Paul and other prisoners and put them on board a small coastal vessel and they began the journey up the coast uh, and along the coast to the northwest and we saw they eventually arrived at the the port city of Myra on the, the southern coast there of Asia Minor, and they boarded there a larger grain vessel. Okay, we saw it was from Alexandria. It was one of the, the grain uh, fleet, part of the grain fleet that was from Egypt going to Rome. And so they requisitioned this vessel, they boarded this larger vessel and continued the journey then uh, to the east on their way to Rome. We saw that after they got past the edge of Asia Minor, they turned south and they ended up at the island of Crete, and they, port, they made port there at Fair Haven, Havens on the, <clears throat> the southern side of the island. And we talked about last week the fact that it had been a very slow and difficult journey. The winds were contrary the whole way. They were against them. They're traveling uh, to uh, the west and the winds are going against them. And so it had been a very difficult, it had been a very hard journey. It was not what man planned, but this was what God planned. God was slowing the journey. God had a purpose to it all. And so now that they're in Fair Havens, winter is fast approaching. As I said, the journey went a lot slower than what they wanted. And so they're running out of time now to make it to Rome, and they realize they're not going to make it in time. So they need to stay somewhere and wait out the winter. Now, Paul had advised uh, the centurion and advised the others on the ship that they should stay in Fair Havens. Uh, the Lord had obviously revealed to Paul that there was harm that was going to befall them if they continued the journey. And so Paul had told them to stay, to, to wait out the winter in Fair Havens, but they'd ignored Paul. They wanted to get to Phoenice, the more comfortable port, and they listened to the wisdom of the master and owner of the ship, and so they set sail uh, for Phoenice. And that's verse 13. It says, And when the south wind blew softly. 
supposing they had obtained their purpose, losing thence, they sailed close by Crete. And so in verse 13, they believe now that circumstances are going their way. And so they set sail to make this short journey along Crete and make it to this larger port of Phoenice. Yeah, but no, it wasn't long, however, before uh, they realized the mistake they made. It's not long before they realized they should have listened to the man of God. And so this morning we see, first of all, the storm. We see the storm that they now run into. Verse 14 says, But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. You know, verse 13, the wind blew softly. It was blowing softly from the south. It seemed like uh, things were going their way. But soon the wind changed yet again. They're caught now in the midst of this ferocious storm. Verse 14 declares, it says, there arose against it a tempestuous wind. That word tempestuous in the Greek is basically the word typhoon. Okay, we've taken that Greek word and transliterated it into English to give us the word typhoon. So basically things have gone from this nice, calm, soft, southerly breeze to now there is this typhoon essentially bearing down upon them. There's these destructive typhoon-like winds. And the sailors here call this wind Eurocladon. Now both Strong and Thayer agree, and I say those two because others say something different, okay? Both Strong and Thayer agree that the Greek word Eurocladon describes a storm from the east or southeast. Others say it's from the northeast, okay? But I'm taking Strong and Thayer because these are the, the guys who know the Greek, and they say it's from the east, southeast. That's where this wind is coming from. And it's a word that they use to describe these destructive winds that came from the east. That's why they have this title for it. That's why the sailors say it's Eurocladon. They know this wind, okay? This, this wind that comes, these storms that come from the east the, to the southeast, that come upon the Mediterranean Sea. And they are dangerous winds to be caught in, dangerous storms to be caught in upon the sea at this time of the year. It's feared by all the sailors. And if you do a bit of research on the Mediterranean Sea, there's still this danger of these winds at this time of the, the, of the year. The shipping lanes are closed. It's a dangerous time to be out upon the sea because of these winds. Uh, particularly the island of Malta where they end up gets battered by these winds um, during the year for weeks on end. Um, and so that's what they now get caught in. They get caught in this uh, typhoon-like winds, this terrible storm that's coming from the east. They're essentially caught in the midst of a typhoon, if you like. And they have no hope now of controlling the ship. They have no hope of leading the direction of the ship, where they want it to go. And so in verse 15 and 16, we see they basically have to just let it steer itself. Verse 15 says, And when the ship was caught, we could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. So they can't control the ship. It's hopeless in the midst of this storm. And so now they have to just let it run. They have to let it do its thing, let the storm take it where it likes. And the storm, it says, drives them, first of all, close to this small island of Clauda. Now, it's just to the, the southeast there of the island of Crete. Uh, sorry, the southwest okay, of the island of Crete. And so um, it's basically 37 kilometers 
that they've travelled already under the midst of this storm, this storm that's pushing them now to the west, which is where they want to go. They want to go to the west. Okay? It pushes them to this tiny little island. And as they run under the protection of this small island, a lot of conversation going on. People trying to find it. <laughs> should have given you a map again. <laughs> I gave them a map last Sunday evening. should have brought the maps again. It's right there underneath Crete. It's only tiny. It's only small. Not real big at all. Okay, as they're going past this tiny little island, it says they ran under. Okay, we talked about that last week. It's the, the idea of protection of the island. Okay, so as they're passing this small island, they're under the protection of the island. They make haste now to do a couple of things. First of all, it says that they seek to bring on board the small lifeboat. If you read at the end of verse 16 there, it says, We had much work to come by the boat. Now, what it's talking about there is that they were trying to bring on board the lifeboat. Okay? They would usually, apparently in calm weather, uh, have the lifeboat trailing behind. That's how they would drag it. They'd drag it behind the boat in calm weather. But as soon as the storms would come, they'd bring it on board. Now, evidently, this storm's come upon them very quick, and so they haven't yet had a chance to get it on board. And so that's what they're doing now in verse 16, is they're going past the island. It's a little bit calmer. It's their one chance to to do some things, and so they bring the lifeboat on board. And Luke writes, he says, we had much work. In other words, there was great difficulty to do this. You can understand why. The lifeboat's probably already taken on a bit of water. It's become very heavy. It's just a dead weight, isn't it? They're trying to drag and bring up on board the ship. But not only do they do this, verse 17 tells us that they do something more. Verse 17 says, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. The start of verse 17 tells us that they make efforts now to strengthen the ship. It says they used helps undergirding the ship. Now, what they would do apparently is they would have uh, large ropes or chains on board and when these storms came, they would pass the chains or ropes under the hull and back out the other side to secure the hull, to add some strength to the ship. And so that's what it's describing here. Luke's describing how they ran these chains, these ropes underneath the hull to strengthen, to add some bracing to the hull in the midst of these rough seas. We're told also there that they strake sail. In other words, they took down most of the sails. And they did this, it says, for fear of falling into the quicksands. And you read that and you think, what on earth are quicksands doing in the middle of the ocean. Well, the quicksands here is talking about a treacherous bank of sand, a sand bank, okay, that was off the African coast. Okay, so it's right down to the south, to the southwest. It's a long way away from where they are, but this place was notorious for shipwrecks. And so they are afraid of ending up in the quicksands, okay, down there near uh, Africa. And so because of that, they lessen all the sails. They're trying to slow their journey as much as possible. They don't know how long they're going to be in this storm for. That's the point here. They don't know. They don't know how long they're going to be in it or where they're going to be taken. And so they're trying to make every effort to slow things down and to lessen the damage, if you like. Okay, they take the sails down. They're allowing the storm now to take them and hopefully get out of it with the least amount of damage. Verse 18 goes on and it says, And uh, we've been exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day, they lightened the ship. So in verse 18, now they start throwing things over. The next day, they're still caught in the storm. They start lightening the ship. Now they're getting rid of some of the cargo to make the ship ride higher. Okay, so they're taking on less water. 
On the third day, verse 19 says, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And so the third day, day they're now starting to cast out tackling. Okay, the idea here is they're not throwing out the stuff they need, they're throwing out the extra stuff, the stuff they don't need. So they're throwing overboard extra anchors, they're throwing overboard you know, spare sails, spare ropes, spare rigging, they're throwing over anything they don't need, they're getting rid of it. And notice that it says we, so Luke is getting his hands dirty here and so is Paul and the others, they're all involved in this effort to lighten the load of the ship. Verse 20 then goes on to tell us they've been now for many days in this storm. It says in verse 20, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. For many days they're stuck in this storm. You know, so much so they can't see the sun at day, they can't see the stars at night, so they have absolutely no idea where they are. They have no means of determining their position at sea. They don't even know which direction they're being driven. They don't know where they're going. And Luke concludes verse 20. He says, All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Luke says, All hope's gone. The point is that the, the crew, everyone on board, they're in the midst of despair now, aren't they? They've been in this storm for days. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's happening. They don't know whether they're going to run into something in the next, you know, next minute, next second. And despair settles upon the crew. It seems to be a hopeless situation. You know, remember the reason why they find themselves in this mess in the first place? It's because they failed to listen to the man of God. We talked about that last Sunday evening, didn't we? You know, Paul had told them, warned them, said we shouldn't continue on, we need to stay here. God has revealed to him these facts. They didn't listen to the man of God, they pressed on, and now they find themselves in the midst of this terrible storm threatening their lives. You know, this storm really has served a purpose already, hasn't it? What it's done is it's stripped away their reliance on themselves. It's stripped away their reliance on their own wisdom. It's put them now in a point where they're ready to listen to the man of God. Back at Fair Havens, they didn't want to know what Paul said. You know, they, they let him speak, but then they just brushed it off. You know, we'll listen to the, the wisdom of men. We'll, we'll look at circumstances. We'll look at the comforts. But now, as they're, they're out at sea for all these days, all that's stripped away. Their self-reliance, their own wisdom stripped away. And now, they're ready to listen to what Paul has to say. I was thinking about it this week. You know, sometimes the Lord sends storms our way for the same reason, doesn't he? He sends storms our way to get our attention because we've acted like them. We've done our own thing. We're going our own direction and the Lord sends a storm to get our attention, to get us to to listen to what he has to say, to to strip away our own uh, self-reliance, our reliance upon our own wisdom and instead look to him and his wisdom, his direction, his guidance. And that's what this storm has done here for the crew and for those on board. It's stripped away their reliance on self. It's gotten their attention and now Paul stands up to speak. And so secondly, this morning we see now the servant of God. We've seen the storm. We see now the servant of God. Just read with me verse 21. It says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. Verse 21 there begins with the word, but. 
In other words, in complete contrast to the despair mentioned in verse 20, we now have Paul standing up and speaking with great confidence. In contrast with the despair of everyone else on board, we have Paul, the servant of God, standing up with faith, boldly declaring his almighty God and what God has said unto him. And he begins, first of all, by gently rebuking them. It's a gentle rebuke in verse 21. He says, Sirs, you should have listened unto me and not loosed from creed. He he gently rebukes them here, doesn't he? It almost reads as if Paul says, I told you so, in a derisive manner. But I don't believe that's what Paul's doing. Paul's simply reminding them here of the fact that he had said this is going to happen. He's reminding them of the accuracy of his words so that they now pay attention this time. He's saying, look, I I knew God had revealed this unto me. I said this was going to happen. Now pay attention this time. Don't ignore my words this time. And so Paul now begins to speak. And we see, first of all, Paul declares his faith. He declares his faith. Verse 22, it says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall no loss of any man's life among you, Sorry, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island." Now here we see Paul stand and he tells them, he says, be of good cheer. But his, his statement's not unfounded, is it? He says, be of good cheer. Why? Because he's been told something by God. He has a revelation from the Lord. He has the words of God to speak. God had spoken to him during the night. He'd sent his angel to reveal to Paul that the ship and the cargo would be lost, but all lives, all the passengers would survive and be safely cast onto an island. You know, this was a promise from God, wasn't it? God came to Paul and gave him this promise right when Paul needed it most. You think about it, Paul's he's been on the ship too, just like everyone else. He's been battered, he's been tossed around for all these nights, and we'll see in a minute, it's 14 days they've been battered. Paul's been going through that too. He's been experiencing the seasickness like everybody else. He's been going through all of it, and the Lord, right when Paul needs it, speaks to Paul and gives him a promise. But not only did Paul need it, everyone on board needed it, didn't they? These were the words that everybody on board needed to hear right now at this point. Now, we could say that this message from Paul was good news, wasn't it? It was a message of good news that God had given him to deliver to the people. This was the message they needed to hear in their hour of need. You know, their situation, as I said earlier, was hopeless. They'd come to the point where they realized they couldn't help themselves. And it was then that Paul stands up and declares, God has promised to deliver. God has promised to bring them safely to the island. You know, not only that, but Paul, he declares his faith in the promise of God too. He doesn't just stand up and say, this is what God said. He declares his faith in that promise. Look at verse 25. It's an awesome verse. It says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Isn't that a wonderful statement, a statement of faith? He says, be of good cheer. Why? I believe 
God. I believe the promise. Paul declares his faith in what God had said unto him. He believed it. He had confidence in his God. You know, notice here that Paul only has God's word to go on. That's all that he's got. God came to him in the night and God revealed this unto him. God said it to him. He's got God's word. And he holds God's word as true. That's what he's believing, the truth of God's word. You know, God hadn't given him a sign. The storm hadn't obeyed. The storm is still going on. There's no discernible change in the circumstances. Everything's still the same. But Paul declares he believes God's word is true. He believes God is going to do what he said. And therefore, on that basis, he says we have nothing to fear. This is a great declaration of faith, isn't it? In his God and in the word of God. You see, the promise of God was enough for Paul. That's all he needed, the promise of God. You know, likewise, we go through storms in this life, don't we? We go through storms. And in the midst of those storms, as believers, we need to boldly declare our faith in God. We talk about the fact that sometimes storms are because we've disobeyed the Lord. Sometimes they're just storms. They're just trials of life, aren't they? The Lord is allowed to come our way. And in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those afflictions, we need to declare our faith in the promises of God. And you know, there may be no discernible change on the horizon. There may be no light at the end of the tunnel. It may seem like everything's just continuing on the same, but beloved, we have the promises of God, don't we? The promises of God that he'll be with us, the promise of God that he'll keep us, that he'll protect us, that he'll deliver us in his timing, in his way. You see, we need to boldly carry on and declare our faith during those times. And you see, when we do that, everyone else sees that, don't they? They see our faith. Everyone else on board that vessel, they saw Paul's faith, didn't they? They saw his faith. He boldly declared his faith. It was a testimony unto everyone else on board. And the same is true in our lives. Our faith is a testimony to others as we go through these storms. Paul not only declares his faith, but Paul also then warns them. He warns them, verse 27. It says, But when the fourteenth night was come, and we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. In verse 26, Paul declared that they would be shipwrecked on an island. He said, we'll be cast upon an island. That was the promise of God. We'll, we'll survive this. We'll end up on an island. In verse 27, we see that island is now fast approaching. You know, they've been battling, it says in verse 14 there, they've been battling this storm for 14 nights, 14 days. They've been struggling in the midst of this storm. They've been driven over 800 kilometers by this storm. That's a, a long way to go under the power of a storm, isn't it? That's a horrible journey. And we know that because of chapter 28, verse 1, which says they end up on the island of Miletta, which we'll look at tonight, or Malta. And so they've gone 800 kilometers in this storm. And verse 27 tells us that they're now taking... You know, they're coming close to the land and they know this because they're taking soundings. Okay, verse 28, it says, And sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So they're taking soundings, they're taking depth readings. And they know that they're coming up to land, it's getting shallower. 
And so because they don't want to be shipwrecked, they don't want to be cast upon the rocks in the middle of the night, they throw out anchors at the rear to hold them until morning. Verse 29 says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. So they know they're approaching land, and so they throw these four anchors out the back to hold steady. Uh, their direction towards the, towards the island, but hold until the morning where they can see what's before them. You know, it's at this point that we learn of the selfishness of some of the crew. Look in verse 30. It says, And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under colour, as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. You see the selfishness now of some of the crew. You know, they've thrown anchors out the rear and now some of them go to the front and pretend, under the colour it says, under the guise of throwing out the forward anchors, they instead now lower the lifeboats and they're going to flee and leave everyone else on board. And this is the sailors. This is the men who've been through all these things before, who know how to control the ship. They're the ones who are going to abandon now and leave the centurion, leave the soldiers, leave all the prisoners on board. It's an act of selfishness, isn't it? But not only that, it's an act of uh, complete lack of faith in God. Paul had just stood up and said that God is going to deliver them. These men show complete lack of faith now, don't they? In contrast to Paul's faith. They don't believe the word of God. They don't believe the word that's been spoken unto them through Paul. They're ignoring the word of God and they're trying to save themselves. You know, God's promise was that everybody on board would be saved alive. Everyone who stayed on board would be saved alive. That was God's promise. You know, Paul, he now learns of this plot and he informs Julius, verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Verse 31, we see that Paul, he somehow learns of it, learns of this plot, what they're doing, what they're up to. And Paul makes it clear to the centurion, he says, God's promise that everyone is saved is dependent on them staying on board the vessel. They need to stay on board the ship if they want their lives to be spared. But not only their lives, the lives of everybody is dependent on this. You think about it. The sailors are the ones who are abandoning the ship. The sailors. The ones who know how to put the rigging up and man the sails. The ones who know how to steer the ship in the morning. They're the ones leaving. They're needed, aren't they? They're needed for this deliverance. They're needed in the morning to steer the ship to shore. So the centurion, you know, he'd learned his lesson, hadn't he? Back in Fair Havens, he should have listened to Paul. He didn't listen. This time he listens to Paul and he takes it to the extreme. Verse 32, it says, Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. They take it now to the extreme. Um, probably not what Paul meant. He probably meant just stop them, but they cut off their lifeboat, the one means they had of getting to shore in the morning. They took it to the extreme, but you see the difference, don't you? You see, the centurion, he actually knew there was something about Paul. He started to understand, I should have listened to Paul, should have listened to his words. The sailors, they still didn't care what Paul thought. They had a lack of faith. The centurion, something's starting to happen here. He's starting to, to listen to Paul. He sees there's something different about him. He'd learned his lesson, and so he takes this drastic action. He cuts off the ropes, and he lets the lifeboat go. He heeds the warning of God's servant this time round. And then we see Paul's example. Paul's example, verse 33, says, And while the day was coming, 
uh, sorry, and while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair f- fall from the head of any of you. Once again, we see Paul leading by example, don't we? Okay, he's told the century you need to stop them. They, they've done that, dealt with that. And now they're waiting out the night till morning and Paul stands up. Once again, he leads by example. And what does he do? He says, we need to get ready for the deliverance that's coming. You see his faith again? He says, we need to get ready for what's about to take place. In verse 33, we learn that for these 14 nights, they haven't been eating, they've been fasting. So they're weak, aren't they? They haven't been eating for these 14 days. Now, whether that's because of fear of the storm and everything that's taking place, or whether it's simply because of seasickness, you know, that struggling to keep anything down, and also because they can't prepare anything, it doesn't matter. They haven't been eating for 14 days. They've been struggling with this. But Paul stands up. He says, we need to eat because we need our strength for the morning. We need to get ready for what God is about to do. You notice his bold declaration in verse 34. He says, wherefore I pray you, to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. It's a bold declaration of faith, isn't it? He says we need to eat, we need to get our strength, and nothing's going to happen to us. We're going to all survive. Not a hair is going to fall from the head of any of you. God's going to save us all alive. We need to get ready for God's deliverance in the morning. He's declaring his faith, isn't he? And he's doing it publicly too. He's standing up before them all. Notice what he does next, verse 35, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. He then leads them in prayer. He stands up, he takes the bread, he gives thanks for the food, leads them in prayer. I'm sure he gave thanks also for the deliverance that was coming. Now that's Paul, isn't he? He knew what God was going to do. He gives thanks for the food, he's giving thanks for what God's about to do. He leads them in thanksgiving to Almighty God. And then Paul begins to eat, and everyone follows his example. Verse 36, uh, sorry, end verse 35, it says, And when he had broken, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. They follow his example now, don't they? One man stands up, and he has this example of faith, believing the promise of God. He gives thanks to God. He's an example of faith, isn't he? And his example of faith now lifts the spirits of everybody on board. They all now take some food. They all eat. They all prepare for the morning. His example had an effect upon everybody, didn't it? His boldness in declaring his faith had an effect upon, a positive effect upon everyone on board the ship. And once they'd eaten, they then prepare the ship for the morning. Verse 37 says, And when we had, sorry, when we were, sorry, and we were in all in the ship, 200, three score and 16 souls. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. So they have their fill, and they now cast out everything else. So that's, they're believing what Paul's saying now too, aren't they? They cast everything else overboard, and they now prepare for the morning, prepare to, to make ground in the morning. And that brings us to our last point this morning. We've seen the storm, we've seen the servants, and now we see the shipwreck. The shipwreck, let's read from verse 39. It says, And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves under the sea, 
and loose the rubber bands and hoist, uh, hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. They've waited out the night. They've had their meal preparing. They've lightened the ship. And now it's day and they can see the island before them. They can see finally where they are. They still don't recognize the land. But what they see is a small creek. And they, the, you know, the, the master of the ship believes he can get it into the creek and get as far as he possibly can up the creek. And so they take up the anchors. They release the lashings, it says, the rubber bands on, uh, on the rudder. In other words, they tied up the rudder during the storm and now they let it loose again so they can use it. They hoist the mainsail and they begin their attempt to steer into the inlets. Verse 41, it says, and, <clears throat> and falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. They don't get very far, do they? They don't get very far before they run aground and now they're stuck and the the rear of the ship is being pounded by the waves. You can just imagine that, can't you? They're stuck there and all those massive waves from the storm are crashing on the back, breaking up the ship now. There's nothing left to do but to abandon ship and swim to shore. You know, verse 42, we see that immediately the soldier's reaction is, let's kill all the prisoners. Verse 42, it says, and the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. You know, they're fearful. Fearful that the prisoners are going to escape in the confusion. You know, and that's a problematic thing for them, isn't it? Roman soldiers, if you let, let your prisoner escape, what happens? You die. You get put to death. They don't want to see any of their prisoners escape, and so their thoughts is, let's just put them all to death. But notice in verse 43, once again, it's Paul who saves their lives. It says in verse 43, But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose it's Paul it's because of Paul that now all the other prisoners are saved you see the centurion he knew there was something about Paul and he knew it was because of Paul that they were even still alive they'd been spared he's grateful to Paul and he doesn't want to expose Paul to this fate and so he commands to leave them alone and instead let everybody make their way to shore verse 43 again but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded them, uh, sorry, and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. He commands them all now to make their way to shore, and they make it by various means, swimming on boards, on parts of the ship. And it says at the end of the verse, the most miraculous bit, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. That's a miracle of divine intervention, isn't it? You know, you think about this storm they've been stuck in for 14 nights. There is no way on one of these vessels of that day and age they should have survived. They shouldn't have. It's because of Paul, it's because of Paul's God that they survive. And God keeps his promise, doesn't he? What was the promise that God gave them back in verse 26? He said to Paul, uh, how be it we must be cast upon a certain island. He said... God had said we're going to all survive, we're all going to be cast upon an island, and what did God do? God kept his promise. God did exactly what he said. God made sure they all survived, they all made it to land safely. God kept his promise. And you see, this storm, as we said last Sunday evening, this storm really, what it does in the end is it magnifies God, doesn't it? It magnifies him. 
In the end, everyone knows that Paul's God is real. Paul's God did exactly as he said. Paul's God protected us and brought us safe to the island. You see, God sent this storm for a reason, to get their attention, to bring them to the end of themselves, so that Paul then could declare God unto them. And Paul stood up and he boldly declared his faith in the promises of God, and God didn't fail him, did he? He declared his faith in God's promise, and God was faithful. You see, we all go through storms of life, as we mentioned earlier. And during those times, like Paul, we need to rest in the promises of God. Rest in the promises of God. You see, those storms that we go through, they are an opportunity for us to stand and boldly declare and demonstrate our faith in Almighty God, aren't they? Everyone else has seen us go through it. Some may even be going through it with us. It's an opportunity for us to stand and show our faith in God and in His promises so others might see our faith and they might be encouraged by our faith and maybe they might even come to the Lord because of our faith. And you know, the wonderful truth is that like Paul found out, God will not fail us. God will keep his promises to us. If we put our faith in his promise and we stand and declare his promises, God will keep them. He's not going to let us down. He's not going to leave us hanging to make us look like fools. We shouldn't have trusted him. No, God will keep that promise. He will take care of us. He will deliver us in his timing and according to his plan and according to his way. We just need to, like Paul, put our faith in the promises of God. And that's really what comes out in this passage, isn't it? God is magnified as being the God who is in control, the God who has a a plan and purpose to it all, and the God who keeps his promises and the faith of his servant. And may we have that same faith in our same wonderful God this day. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, the Apostle Paul, and we thank you for his faith. His faith in your promises that you gave to him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to Lord, likewise, be bold in our declaration of our faith in you, our faith in your promises. And Lord, we know that you will never let us down. Lord, you are a great, big, wonderful God. You are in control. You are the the God who uh, has everything in uh, the control of your hands, Lord. And we thank you for that. We pray you would strengthen our faith in you and bless now as we close in Jesus' name.